0: Oh, my the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5 1280 The Zone and the Zone Sports Network.
1: Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to talk to Locke coming up here momentarily. Gordon. Get David Stotts on opening night as he's getting ready to call the Jazz Blazers game. Again, uh, that tips off at 8, pregame begins at 7. And it's kind of odd that we're preparing for a 72-game schedule, Gordon, but nonetheless, it all begins tonight.
2: It does, and uh, you know it's one of those deals where last season was interrupted and so strange, and the Jazz course were at the center of that, at least the start of it. And now, uh, you know, we've, we've been down the road a ways. It's, it's still not solved. And uh, we, we begin again. And I think everyone is hopeful that at some point during this season, things will get better uh, from, from a standpoint of not just the sport itself, but, uh, uh, you know, society, the world as a whole. And so, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of wonderment about how how these two things, the NBA season and a uh, pandemic, are going to continue to coexist.
1: All right, Locke's conversation with us, brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Group. Out of the zone phone we go. He's the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, our good friend David Locke. What's up, David?
3: How are you guys?
1: Doing great, man. Opening night, uh, looking forward to tonight's broadcast.
3: Uh, Donovan, Dame, Nurkic, Gobert... Good stuff. CJ. Lock, Boone. A lot of fun. Tim. Lock, Boone, I get a bit, Ron Boone had me looking up all sorts of numbers last night. Like, he always makes fun of me and my numbers. But last night, like, he's like, can you find me this? How many pick and rolls did Rudy and Donovan run for minutes on the floor together? And how's that changed? And I was like, wow. Like, Ron Boone's firing up.
2: Well, look at the effect you've had on him, David.
3: Me on effect I've had on him? Yeah. Talk about the effect he's had. Let's talk about the effect he's had on me. <laughs> Holy smokes. He's made me a better parent. He's made me a better father. He's made me a better employee. He's made me a better friend. He made me a better person. He's made me more he's done, oh he's Oh my gosh. What has he done for me? One of the luckiest things that's happened in my life is Ron Booth.
2: Jake, do you think he's had an effect on David making him a better guest?
1: On the on a radio show? Mm-hmm. I don't know. David would have to no, answer that Ron, one. being a
3: guest on radio show, so he doesn't understand why I ever do it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we oh, like it that you do it, David. If
3: I'm taking the Ron Boone lead on it, I would hang up and move on.
1: Well, uh, let's talk about this uh, version of the Utah Jazz And what we're going to see tonight, David And Gordon and I have talked a lot about the defense And I want to ask you specifically about that real quick You know, a lot of the media availabilities and all that They're talking about an increased focus on it And want to improve that I've heard you talk about it uh, on this show and others And Derek Favors, I think, will help, of course Because he's a good defender But where, where do the Jazz get better defensively this year Outside of Derek?
3: That's the only spot, really, that Derek Favors play is that we're better defensively with Faves than Tony Bradley. Uh, Derek's exceptional. And that maybe we try to roll a few minutes every night with Faves and Rudy. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but if you can do that for, you know, Faves is playing 14 as a backup center, and you try to get him eight minutes a night at... Uh, to get him to 22 and four in each quarter, the second quarter, and or late first quarter and late third quarters with Rudy. Like, it doesn't sound like very much, but if you actually get into it, like eight minutes is about 20%, right? So, okay, so we're better defensively in the 14 minutes and another eight minutes. Well, okay, now we're certainly better in close to 24 minutes of the night defensively than we were a year ago, and maybe we can make the uptick. We were 11th in the league defensively, and can we get ourselves to top five? Well, if we do that, we're going to be awfully close to being top five on both offense and defense. In which case, then we're super good, um, championship caliber. Actually, most teams are top five, in both have actually gone on to either play in the NBA Finals or or become awfully close. Uh, other than maybe Milwaukee the last few years, so you know if you can to be top five in both, you're you're awesome. Uh, we'd be the one or two seed. I I do have some doubt on whether we can ever get back to, you know, the elite number one, number two defense in the league, just because we made four changes a year ago and all of them were significant offensive improvements, which is why our offense went from being 17th in the league to top 10. And so they all worked, but we, we can't like just, we just don't get to go all the way back to the other days. Like, Ricky Rubio is three and a half inches longer than Mike Conley and a better defensive player like okay like fine but Mike Conley's a better basketball player and a better offensive player like Boyan is not a good defensive player like Derek Favors was but Boyan can shoot like the fourth eighth best like off the bounce shooter in the league and want like the fourth best catch and shoot shooter in the league fine so great like I'm taking that trade every time but I don't know that you can take that trade and come back and be a league defensive
2: David, let me ask you a question that Jake and I were talking about earlier, and and this applies. Uh, the question applies to tonight's game, but it might apply to other games as well. Let's say a star player, in this case, say Damian Lillard, goes off and does what he's capable of doing against the Jazz will Donovan Mitchell feel a responsibility to match that performance or will he just continue to more effectively blend in to whatever it is the Jazz want to do as a team?
3: Really interesting question. Uh, What were your answers?
2: Jake said that he thought that he would blend in. And I'm not so sure. I think that Donovan is at a place now where he may feel like hey I've got to, I've got to give my team a lift and uh, and match what this guy over here is doing
1: well let me just explain not just blend uh, not blend in the jazz have a lot uh, well let me put it this way they've got a lot of weapons there's a lot of shots that need to be taken by other guys not just Donovan Mitchell and I think he's going to work his playmaking into other people's good fortune I think he's going to make a concerted effort to
3: do that. So I'm much more interested in whether Donovan Mitchell wants to guard Damian Lillard once he starts. Yeah. To- I said that <laughs> that's too. That's what Jake Thank said. You very yeah.
1: much. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's what I want to know. If it's personal, then go make it personal and shut him down. That would be your next step as a player.
2: Is he capable of that?
3: Well, that's why he was drafted, if we forget that. But that is like he was drafted because he was going to be an elite defensive player. So I do think he is probably capable of that. He's very long, very strong, an elite athlete, great lateral movement, super body control. Yes. Uh, If he has to do that, though, then Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, and Boyan Bogdanovich better do some scoring, and Jordan Clarkson better do some scoring.
1: David Locke is with us here on uh, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Where are you projecting the Jazz in the West this year, David?
3: I don't know. How's that? (laughs)
1: <laughs> very specific
3: I ran, I, mean, I ran my numbers and Phoenix came out as the number one offense in the West and Utah came out number two which like was a little surprising and Phoenix came out number one by a lot I almost thought I made a mistake but I don't think so um, and Dallas didn't come out very well they were number one last year so that was weird but Steph Curry's really really good they did move away from him um, so you know if we can be ninth defensively so we were 11th last year. we can be ninth because of Derek, or eighth because of Derek, and then we're top five offensively, then we're making a run for the two seed.
2: David, as I was looking back over Boyan Bogdanovich's performances, he really has gotten better every year he's been in the league. Do you expect him to make another jump off his 20, what was it, 20.2 uh, average this last year as far as scoring goes?
3: So there are three players in the NBA that have increased their scoring for six straight years. And one of them is Boyan Bogdanovich, the other is Spencer Dinwiddie, and now I actually can't remember the third. Um, That's incredible. To increase your scoring for six straight years? Like, it seems almost impossible. Um, So I think seven is impossible. Like, I don't know how he – like. I guess, you know, if he, what he average, twenty point like three or something? Yeah. So if he averages twenty point seven then he'll he'll do it, but I, I can't imagine he averages much more than he averaged last year. But but let's clarify something. He took seven threes a game last year. I think Quinn wants him to take ten this year. <laughs> so you know, if he's adding three threes attempts and making one of them, maybe. Maybe he goes to twenty-one or twenty-two.
2: If I'm not mistaken, David, I think his jump from the previous high, the year before, was eighteen a game. So he did make a a two-point jump when he came to the Jazz.
3: That's a lot. Doesn't seem like it, but a two-point jump for a player is a lot. I'll bet you, like you'd have to go find, like players that are in their sixth year of their career that jump like two points not that common.
1: Like, Dane just did it. Dame went to 30 last year. So, David, uh, the Jazz averaged 35 three-point attempts last year during the regular season. That number went up in the bubble. Uh, and if, if preseason is in, any indication, that's going up a lot. What, what do you think the range is in three-point attempts per game with the Jazz?
3: I would like them to be at would they take 81 or 82 shots last year?
1: I'd have to look it up. That sounds right.
3: So I would like their shot distribution to be 37, 17, 45. 37% of their shots at the rim. 45% of their shots is threes. I guess that would be 18 shots as mid-range or twos. Get rid of the floater get rid of the long two, get to the rack, and shoot the three. David, what are you
2: expecting I'm out of huge, Mike Conn?
3: I'm a huge believer in a statistic, particularly on the defensive end, which is what can be called either, maybe the best is lo- location-effective field goal percentage. In other words, if an average players took the shot, Based on where you made them sh- shoot from, what would their percentage be? It, it's it's the number one indicator of a good defense. We were number one in the league in it last year. We were not very good at it offensively last year. I would like to see us get better at that offense.
2: There was a lot made of Mike Conley and his adjustments uh, from going from being a grizzly to a jazz man. Uh, Is that uh, – do you subscribe uh, to that? Uh, Is there room for him to make a a fairly substantial jump this year?
3: So I 100% subscribe to it. The irony is I had all these conversations with Mike last year about – and all of our conversations were couched at the time as these positives. He's never done this. He's never done that. He's never done this. He's never done that. He's never had this. He's never had that. And we couched every one of them as a positive. But in retrospect, like we should, like it should have dawned on me, like wow, a lot of things different. He had his lowest usage rate since 2012, 2013. He had his lowest time of possession that he's ever had in his career. This was a dramatic change for him. Here's a good little trivia question for you. Mike Conley scored, I believe, 20 or more points 13 times last year. How many of them were in the bubble?
1: Oh, it's got to be most of them, right?
3: Seven of the 13 happened yeah. in the 15 games in Orlando.
1: Because he was really good down there.
3: And he didn't even play in 15 games. Only so probably oh, played right. in 11 and probably 13. So, and then if you actually look at it, a lot of them came in February, too. So if you look at Mike, if you go take the first stretch of the season out of Mike's numbers... Which fine, that's cherry picking. I got it, but just understand that it was all different. Um, And you actually take, you know, start wherever you want, kind of after the first ten games. His numbers are really good. Like I think they're about seventeen points a game and forty-four percent shooting and forty percent from three. And like it's exactly what you thought you were acquiring. So let's see what we can do.
1: David, we haven't had you specifically on this show talking about uh, Rudy's extension, so I want to make sure that uh, our audience gets your thoughts on that because you know this is you know, franchise life changing money and commitment uh, that they made to uh, obviously Donovan earlier, but well, not to getting,
3: Rudy. He was getting, he was getting generously life changing money, no matter what happened. Right. But it was it was a it's a franchise changing moment for the Utah Jazz that we know they're going to be good now for four or five more years that's an incredible concept because being good despite what probably Jazz fans think is incredibly difficult in this league and once you're bad it's even more difficult like almost impossible so yes there's an argument that we overpaid for Rudy great, I'm glad we did Because now we know we're going to be good. And being good begets being good. And that is a mammoth, mammoth level of importance to the organization. I was really nervous. Because I could reasonably see where the organization wasn't willing to pay Rudy that kind of money. And I could reasonably see where Rudy got offended by that. And I could reasonably see where Rudy left.
0: And I could reasonably see us
3: become really bad, really fast after that. Um, So I was, I was, I I, I thought everyone. Sometimes I think negotiations are hard when everyone's right. I kind of have a theory in life that if someone's wrong, you can kind of get a negotiation done because they kind of know they're wrong. But when everyone's right, sometimes is the when it's the hardest to get a deal done. And the Jazz were probably right that it wasn't—he wasn't worth a Supermax, or that they didn't want to pay him Supermax. They probably were right with whatever their starting offers were that were not where they finished. And Rudy's people were right saying, "Great, but I make you good, and I'm the reason why you've been to second round playoffs twice. I'm the only one that's done it both times, along with Joe. And like I, uh, I'm, I'm your everything." They were right. Um, So I, I was very nervous. Um and I'm really proud like I, not like I, like, I just think it's a great sign of lack of hubris on everyone's part, including the new ownership to get that do- deal done. It's a great sign of where we're heading. David, do you
2: think that uh, this those signings uh, with Donovan and Rudy uh, put an increased emphasis on the jazz really being accurate with their drafting over the next four or five years?
3: I mean, they really have to do what they've always done well, which is find those diamonds in the rough that you get for the team, because you've got a lot of money tied up into two players and three in Boyan and four in Joe and 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 Royce. You know, Royce is probably right at his market value, but it's probably a lot when you consider that you have those top players. And there might be a day where you're going to have to move somebody because of the fact that you paid these guys. That's the reality. The luxury tax is really prohibitive, and it's not the greatest business to be in a luxury tax. It's not a sign of bravado to be in a luxury tax. It's actually a little bit of a sign of, like, just kind of, uh, I, don't, I don't know what the word is, but it's its not bravado. So, um, and it's good for us, frankly, as a small market team, that the luxury tax, exist, tax exists. So if there's a moment here where the Jazz actually have to make a move for tax purposes, no one's allowed to complain because it's the only reason we have a chance in this league is because there is a luxury tax. So we just have to bite it if the time comes. But, yes, because of that, we're going to have to go find the next Royce O'Neill and the next Mia O'Neal and you know, Mia O'Neal is going to need to play. And Elijah Hughes is going to need to play. And late first round draft picks are going to have to play. You need, you need to gain some, some value out of those players in the process.
1: David Locke is with us. Last thing from me, David, I want to ask you about what's going on with the Rockets. And I don't want to lead you in any particular direction because there are so many juicy tidbits to what's going on inside that franchise. So I'm just going to say Houston Rockets, go.
3: Well, I'm not even sure I'm caught up on everything. So like, so there's three stories here, right? So there's the heart. I mean, there's Harden throwing the ball at the rookie and just being a general malcontent, uh-huh. right? That's story one. There's Harden at the strip club, but I guess he wasn't at a strip
1: club? He claims he right? wasn't. He said he was at a, an event supporting a friend, so not a strip club.
3: Okay. Um, I, I need to find more events like James Harden. Yeah, it, it looked uh-huh. like
1: there may have been some strip-related uh, uh, activities going on, but not technically, I guess, a strip club. Uh-huh.
3: It's funny, because when I go to events, I've never seen that happen. But maybe I don't live the same life. We're going to the wrong events, brother. (laughs) I need to find different events. Um, I'm a 50-year-old man. I'm I'm like, if I was at that event, I wouldn't know what to do. Um, Order a Diet Coke. What's the John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins story? That they both are in the COVID protocol?
1: They went and got a haircut. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: So wait a sec. I don't know this I don't know this part of the story. I just thought they might not play tonight. So wait, they went and got a haircut and then somebody there was positive or these guys aren't allowed to get haircuts.
1: Um, I think it was a uh, a protocol thing. I want to say I'm bringing up the story now.
2: Was it Martin? He was somewhat under Yes, he was being tested or something, and they were with him.
1: It was a positive. Yeah, Keon, uh, or Keon, Kenyon Martin uh, Jr. returned a positive coronavirus test and needed to be tested oh. again for uh, confrontation.
3: I mean, we're gonna, some of this, like we learned with Joe this week, we just got to wait and see on a lot of this, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also generally am not going to be one who's blaming people for getting COVID right now. Like it's pretty rampant now. You can do things to not get it, and you can do things that increase your chances to get it. Or you can do things to decrease your chances, and I would advise that. But I'm not convinced that I want to be the one who's sitting here, like, ridiculing people who get COVID.
1: Real quick, David, we have literally, coming across seconds ago, some news about all of this. Um, Okay. The NBA has postponed tonight's Rockets-Thunder game. Uh, wow. Uh, the night, Wo- night one. Woj adds the Rockets don't have the required eight available players. And then uh, uh, the NBA release adds, additionally, James Harden is unavailable due to a violation of health and safety protocols. So there you go. We've got uh, uh, some news wonder, just coming across.
2: Makes you wonder, David, how often that's going to happen this season.
3: I mean, that that, that is going to be the story of the season. Um. You just you're dealing with um, who are you know together. I mean, they're do the the protocols are amazing. I was talking to one of our guys today. So their the traveling party is obviously way smaller than it's ever been. They have four buses that now pick them up instead of two, even though they probably have the same amount of people that were on one. And then when they – whatever seat they sit in on that bus is the only seat they're allowed to sit on, on that, in that while they're in that city. Like, there's details here. I think shoot-arounds could be gone too, by the way. Just keep an eye on this one. Not te- I'm not sure that with the testing protocols that exist right now, that teams are going to be able to get shootarounds in.
2: Well, that's a somber note to start the season off with, isn't it, guys?
3: Well, I mean, the Rockets the Rockets situation is definitely like I'm curious to know if so Kenyon Martin gets Kenyon Martin Jr. gets COVID. Then are John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins not eligible just because Kenya Martin Jr. got COVID and they spent time with him? Or like are they not eligible because they? I I don't know. I have to. We got to watch. I mean, the real question is: Is there going to be suddenly a case where a team has six, seven members with it? Um. You know, and realize we were the first possibility of that without knowing what we know today and taking. While we were taking precautions, they weren't to the level that we're taking right now, and we didn't have like we don't know that we had another person test positive due to Rudy. Like I'm generally under the thought that Rudy might not have given it to anyone.
1: Well, David, thank you for jumping on with us. We appreciate it, even a little breaking news in the middle of the interview. That's always nice. Uh, we'll uh, we'll I'll holler at you here at the arena tonight
3: right we get to hang out and do our stuff
1: yeah i like it i like it i'm gonna see you a little more that's good
3: figure out how we're doing that first segment sorry i've never gotten the answer we we got 72
1: regular season games brother we'll get it figured out okay talk to you soon buddy see ya that's our friend david Locke, uh radio voice of course of the utah jazz and he joins us each and every week here on the big show each and every wednesday in fact Interesting stuff from David. Interesting news coming out as well. We'll break it all down coming up next. Stay tuned. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Bell,
0: jingle bell, jingle bell rock, jingle bell swing and jingle bell ring, snowing and blowing up bushels of fun.
1: It's the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Want to remind you about our friends at Syringa Networks, home to complete business, telecom, and IT solutions, backed by an industry leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communication for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Thanks, Dave Locke, for joining us uh, in the last segment. The Jazz Blazers game, unlike the Rockets' Oklahoma City game, is scheduled to be played, I guess uh, you never know, in 2020, so I'll knock on wood here. But not good uh, not good news for the, the Rockets and the Thunder, and the Rockets couldn't put eight guys out onto the floor, and so thus uh, not going to play tonight.
2: And this is a real surprise. I mean, we've seen this with, with uh, sporting events all year uh, since what happened on March 11th in Oklahoma City. Uh, it, games have been canceled, postponed, whatever, and seasons have been shifted, and then they've been restarted again, and they've been played, but they've been played with this sort of idea that it's going to be undulating for the foreseeable future, and that looks like it's going to be the case with the best efforts of a lot of people trying to make this work uh, with a a virus that uh, is unrelenting.
1: I think the NBA was smart in only scheduling the first 37 games. Um, Unlike the the Pac-12, what's the point in giving yourself a a, a timeline that has no wiggle room whatsoever? So, Mm -hmm. you know, with these postponed games, by only scheduling the first 37, then you have a little flexibility to make these sorts of things up or at least make it work as well as it possibly can going forward as opposed to, you know, putting out all 72 and saying, this is when they're going to be played when, and we've got to get it done before the Olympics and blah, 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 leave yourself no wiggle room. I, I think it's smart that they only did the first 37.
2: And I like, uh, I like what David said there. And it's something that you and I've talked about before that, uh, like don't blame people when they get COVID. Uh, you can be doing everything right and still get it. Uh, and then there are those who are careless and they either don't get it or they get it, but it's it's insidious. It's it's just sort of a crazy thing that everybody is trying to manage the best they can. Well, not and everybody. Yes, not jake Carden. Well, some, some people have been, as I said, careless, uh, and that's that's too bad. But uh, I, think, I think most of the players in the NBA are probably trying to do what they can to, to make this season, keep this season intact. In
1: uh, let's see, more coming out from Woj. After the NBA declared James Harden unavailable due to violation of health and sa- safety protocols, it is still unclear to both Harden and the Rockets how long he'll be unavailable or whether he'll face league punishment, uh, according to uh, to ESPN. Uh, you mentioned something in the first segment, Gordon, or maybe not whatever segment we brought up, the Rockets, um, that James Harden has the, the ability to demand a trade or to, to leverage that. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. If you're the Rockets, would you think about Rajah Bellingham? Cuz really they don't have to to uh, cave into his demands. And if you're going into a rebuild anyway, why not uh why not uh, Rajah Bellingham for a little while? It's not like his value is going to go down.
2: Do you think it's to their advantage to make it more messy than it already is?
1: Well, if he's going to and and I don't know this. So this is this is speculation. But if this is some sort of intentional well, I'm not going to comply and I'm going to make it very difficult for you? You know, if it is insubordination, I'd consider it.
2: I look for solutions, Jake. Uh, and, and maybe maybe you're right. Maybe that solution comes in an unusual way. But I, I would do everything I could to, to – because I – even if you're in the middle of a, of a rebuild um, – you want to get things put in place as soon as you can, right? I mean, I, maybe it's just because I don't like a bunch of unrest. I'd prefer to get it solved ASAP. And I know some things don't always work out that way because there are a lot of moving pieces here. But if, uh, if they can find something suitable that would uh, not hurt their future, I, I would I would pursue those
4: things uh, like gangbusters. And as it says in the Bible, blessed yet boring are the peacemakers.
1: I well, I don't know how realistic that is, Gordon. I I mean, I guess they could trade him for pennies on the dollar tomorrow. But I wouldn't I wouldn't let James Harden. If I were the Rockets, I wouldn't let James Harden twist my arm into making a deal that I wouldn't want to make. And I would say this year, be darned. They've uh,
4: let him make every other decision, though. right? That, I, that
1: that behavior would end now if I'm the Rockets, because he he's not going to stay there. He's made that abundantly clear. So why would you why would you continue that behavior? I'd say, hey, I'm not letting you call the shots anymore. You have a nice time at home. We'll pay <laughs> you. I don't care, but we're not going to let you twist our arm into making a move that we don't want to make. We're going to get as much Whoa. value out of you as you can. So you be patient, there, James. And uh, have a nice time on the uh, uh, at home or at, at an event with your friends or whatever you want to do, but I'm not going to let you submarine this franchise. And what message would that send to the rest of the team? You'd fix some part of that culture problem real quick. Be like, we're not doing this. You'd, you'd said, tell the rest of your team, hey, this guy is not going to submarine your season. We're not going to let it happen. We'll figure it out, but until then, he's going to be somewhere else.
2: You're still paying him $45 million or whatever it is. So you're
1: paying him $45 million to screw him to screw you over?
2: You kind of are.
4: You said something, Jake. You don't think his value will go down? No. Uh, I I don't know about that. Well, look at these. Yeah. Look at these. I'm, uh, a fa-
2: I'm a Faustin on that one.
4: Because it's one thing to do it to Raja Bell, who was 62 and wasn't going to play right. anywhere else anywhere. <laughs> anyway, but uh, James Harden, he, he's not necessarily a spring chicken. He's got some left in the tank. He's. St- but I don't think he's going to be as great as he was in Houston. I don't know that he's going to be, be, be able to sit a year as a malcontent, get paid by the Rockets, and then next year get a
1: super max from whoever can give it to him. I think in this case he's a good enough player that it would be an absence makes the heart grow fonder kind of thing. Like, well, you see it all the time with broadcasters. Like Seth Greenberg works for ESPN for a decade, and people forget what a disastrous head coach sure, was. Sure, but Seth Greenberg and broadcasters, there's really only
4: one way to do a broadcast. James Harden, he only has one way to do his way of basketball, I, and he's not going
1: to fit into every, I, school, every team. I got it, but look at Jeff Van Gundy, who got canned in Houston. He got fired in Houston. And uh, he goes into the broadcast booth for a few, a few years, and teams are trying to pay him ten million dollars to come out of retirement and coach. <laughs> That's true. So I, it, it, I think it would be one of those things where he doesn't flop as good on air, though, as James Harden does. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think there would be a downside from. I mean, the, I think there's still going to be teams that want to trade for a player like that.
4: Why aren't they? Why aren't they willing and ready to do it now? I think they uh, they are now. But the Rockets are wanting to get more in return for Harden, right. and, and these well, teams right now know that there's pressure on the Rockets to get to Harden out of there because of the culture. Yeah, it's
1: the the you know it's the NBA's worked that way for a long, long time.
4: So they're not getting the greatest offers right now,
1: right? That's the speculation, but, but, but,
4: but they're going to have to be somewhat realistic
2: about what they're going to get in return.
1: Well, yeah, but if you sit on him to the trade deadline, maybe you drive some of that. Uh, you know, some teams decide that they want to go in a different direction, one way or another.
2: And then if you don't get an offer in the neighborhood of what you're looking for as that deadline approaches, then are you now really up against
1: that wall? No, because he's under contract for two more years. You're not up against yeah. anything. Well, he's under contract, but how useful will he really be? It doesn't matter because you're not winning a title with the status quo anyway. He's not staying. In fact, it's it's the opposite. He's not contributing in any way, shape, or form positively.
4: But you just have sh- to sell tickets sh- when yeah, they're
2: allowed you're to you're Shelling come back out the a building. bunch of money oh. for this guy, you know? Are you're they you're even letting him-
1: fans in the building to sell tickets? Not today. But you said two years left on his contract, right? Well, he's not, uh, but but that's the thing. He's not going to be around for the next two years. But I wouldn't let him twist my arm into doing something that I'm not ready to do yet just because he's James W. Harden. I wouldn't be scared to to say, well, we're not going to have you around until we're prepared to do And then all of a sudden you put the pressure on him because he's sitting at home and not playing. and they're, And they're saying, like, does. we don't care. So we're going to get what we want. You actually swing that leverage back in your favor. You're
4: close. It's James E. Harding. Is it? What's what what, middle, is it, what does that do for, to your
2: culture of your team?
1: It sends the message to the rest of the teammates that you're not going to put up with that crap. You're going to support the team.
2: But it also, yeah, I get And that. you're not going but to bend over also, backwards
1: to the superstar. You know,
2: but you're wasting time.
1: No, oh, no, you're not. Not in the grand Because yeah, you're essentially
2: mailing it in, going, okay, we know this isn't going to work. We know this is disruptive, but we're not going to move on it as soon as we can. We're going to sit and just let it boil over for to a while. To get
1: the most we can. Uh,
4: James uh, Edward Hardin, Jr. Edward, okay.
2: But that's like someone selling a house, and they're continuing to make mortgage payments on it. And by golly, they're going to stand by that price that they want. And then six months go by, and they're paying mortgages, uh, mortgage payments every single month, and that money is going into uh, something they're not going to keep. And meanwhile, they're not getting what they want. So I mean, that can backfire too. Okay. There's no guarantee that you're going to get this lofty return at some point in the future. And so what you've done, it's a gamble. Uh, and, and you're, you're going to either win or you're going to lose on it. But uh, it's probably not going to. Uh, the way I look at it, I'm not sure that it's going to get that much better.
1: So what you're saying is the Rockets should go to homie.com. <laughs>
2: oh, whatever they need to do to get a good deal.
1: Stay tuned. But we'll have more big shows coming up next. Sam Amick, top of the four o'clock hour, 97.5 and 1280 of the zone.
0: God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay remember. Christmas. You're locked on to the big show, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 975, 1280 the Zone, and the Zone Sports Network.
1: It's the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Thank you very much for making us a part of your day. I don't think I've heard this version of this song.
0: How
1: about that? Christmas music. Just terrific.
0: We hope everyone has uh, as, as good a holiday as
3: possible. Yeah. I love
4: yes, absolutely. And joy yeah. Maybe not this version. Maybe not this version, but this song, okay. It's hauntingly melodic. it's like the it's like the ghosts on the haunted mansion
2: it's It's a barbershop quartet it is haunting isn't it It caroms around in the back of your
3: mind
4: plus i don't know what it means (laughs) god rest ye isn't that you've died is that a is that some sort of funeral
1: christmas song is that a thing
4: and for only the gentlemen that are merry then that's all not the ladies yeah god rest ye merry gentlemen they've they're merry gentlemen that have died <laughs> merry christmas everybody but everybody else not so much i don't know what it means
1: yeah okay
2: well at least he's not singing about talking a woman into staying over the night and uh cold outside
1: like chester yeah
4: the merry christmas everybody <laughs>
1: interesting direction there <laughs> okay uh you know good times uh, Gordon, The uh, we'll get back to the NBA coming up. We've got Sam Amick at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. We'll ask him about the Jazz. We'll ask him about what's going on with the Rockets, too, because he's been uh, covering that situation uh, very closely. But uh, how are you going to remember this, uh, this BYU season, Gordon? It, what, what's When you think of uh, 2020 for BYU, what, what will be the first thing that comes to mind?
2: Two things. One is uh, an exceptional quarterback... Who made a big difference and the level of competition the team faced? Uh, those two, uh, you know, what BYU was able to accomplish here, you you can't just ignore the schedule. And as I said, I've said a thousand times, it's not BYU's fault, but it was what it was, and uh, that that is that that is factored in. But I do think that this team, just on the eye test, this team looks really in advance of what we've seen in previous years with BYU football. Those two consecutive seven and six seasons, this team, as it was prepared this time around, those seasons, uh, those numbers, had they played identical schedules, would have been uh, increased by two or three victories, in my opinion.
1: So I'm similar to you, but a little bit different. I, I think the first thing that will come to mind, this is the year of Zach Wilson. Big time. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that will be numero uno. Uh, remembering some of the throws he's made and how dynamic the numbers. I mean, I think he's going to be drafted highly. I think. I think that's the headline. Um, the the second one though, you mentioned the schedule. I'm going to look at it a little bit differently. Um, n- not that you're wrong, but I just think of it a little bit differently. I think the the headline as far as the schedule goes is Tom Homo scrambling like his hair was on fire to get his team twelve games. I think, I think it's amazing that BYU played uh, 12 games this year. Uh, I think he deserves a ton of credit. I think you know having your entire schedule outside of just two games, right, Boise and North Alabama, uh, just a, a schedule wadded up and thrown into the garbage to, to scramble and do in days and weeks what usually is done in years. I think it's amazing.
2: They had Boise on a schedule, too. I mean, uh, Houston on a schedule.
1: Okay, so it ended up uh, being three. It was two, and, that, and then Boise was re-added.
2: But the, that uh, that game was shifted to, to a different place, uh, namely to Houston. Originally, it was scheduled for Lavelle's place.
1: But anywho, so, you get what so I'm saying. So there was a
2: lot of, lot of juggling going on there just to provide for that program, those players, uh, an opportunity to play, yeah.
1: So that that really stands out in my mind because that, to me, is something that has never been done before. And, uh, you know, it's hard to have something fall in your lap that's never been done before. Right.
2: And so if we were to divvy that up a little bit, let's start with Zach Wilson. When we started uh, watching him this season, we were all curious to see whether there was going to be improvement made from what we saw a year ago. And everyone said, well, he's, he's injured, he's banged up, he's not fully himself. He took advantage of an opportunity during the offseason. Did you ever hear the story how he used to go drive down to uh, John Beck's place? Down he in did. Sort of California? No, I hadn't heard did you, is it. Is that new to you? Yeah, brand new. Um,
1: You're breaking news.
2: So, so he, uh, he was able to make great strides. And I can't recall a single season where... I, a quarterback made the, the, the improvements that he made in in a single year like that, where he went from being, oh, well, yeah, that guy has shown some promise to an early first-round pick the way Zach Wilson has done uh, in, in a single year like this? I mean, I know that Jim McMahon's junior year was fantastic, and I know there have been some other other uh, examples of it, but this was really notable. And I don't, I don't remember people talking about Zach Wilson as being a high draft pick before this season started. You?
1: No, but I think the signs were there. I think he, he made more progress last year than we realized because of some obstacles. And it, coming back off that injury with some performances that were rather pedestrian, you know, we forget that he beat USC early in the season. So... I I think the signs were there. I don't think I expected him to be a first round draft pick or, you know, throw for almost 4,000 yards. Um, And by the way, I saw a stat out there that uh, Zach, uh, I'll have to go back on how many quarters, he sat out like 10 quarters or something like that. Meaning, uh, the numbers
2: could have been much higher. Yeah,
1: meaning he hit those numbers basically while uh, uh, sitting out two and a half games.
2: I saw that Greg Rubel sent out uh, that that, uh, Zach had the highest passer efficiency rating of all time for BYU quarterbacks. It was like 190-something, and Jim McMahon was the previous high at 176.
1: So I don't know who saw that coming, probably nobody, but I expected him to be good. I'm, I'm not surprised that he was good. Well, I remember talking
2: about it before the season started. We thought BYU was going to be pretty good this year. I mean, that part of it wasn't that surprising, but when we saw that when we saw that Navy game, we're sitting going, "Whoa, maybe maybe this thing is much better than we considered it to be." And and I think you would have to say that now that twelve games have been played, this is an exceptional team, and I'm willing to give them that in spite of the schedule.
1: Coming up next, we're going to talk to our friend Sam Amick, who will go back to the NBA and uh, pick Sam's brain. lot to talk to him about today. More next, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.